What number is this, Chip? Episode 34. Nez Breaks the Internet, a Mickey solo album, and Zilch Turns One. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I know. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. And now, it's time for Zilch. Z-I-L-C-H. Hey, it's time for Zilch. And we're back. And welcome back to your monkey's podcast. Zilch. I'm Ken Mills, and I'm joined by Jeff Geringer. Hi, Ken. How you doing? Very good. Sarah Clark. Hi-de-ho, neighborinos. Melanie Mitchell. Hello. Craig Cohen. Hi, Ken. You know I always love sitting down to monkey around with you. Yes, you do. Jeff Hewlett. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Great to be back on the show. Ken, thanks for for calling me up and, and pulling me in. Excellent. And new to the Zilch Show, Melinda Gildart. Welcome, Melinda. Hi. How are you today? I'm great. How's everyone today? Welcome to the show. I think we're, we're doing good. well. Excellent. Awesome. Well, today we're going to have a little fun. We're going to monkey around, and we're going to talk about a few things. But before we get into that, there's this new show called Gracie and Frankie on Netflix. It's one of those Netflix exclusive. And the lovely Carol Mortensen contacted me the other day and said, Did you see the newest episode where they talk about Mickey Dolans? And I said, No. Well, she told me to check it out, and this is what you can find if you watch that show on Netflix. Where can we get a VCR? Oh, I'm not watching it again. Oh, yes, you are. It's no fun if you're not watching it with me. How about I give you another secret and 50 bucks and we don't watch the tape? Okay, but... I get to decide if the secret's good enough. Okay. I once made out with a monkey. You did not. One of the monkeys, Mickey Dolans. Oh, no, he's the worst one. Not with his tongue. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. Hilarious. So Mickey's reputation is preceding him in this this show. What do we think about that? He is a man of many skills, and I am truly glad that the uh, that 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 the world at large is is learning about the multifaceted talents of Mickey Dolenz. How about that? Him and Gene Simmons. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> and that was Lily Tomlin speaking to. Jane Fonda in character as Gracie and Frankie. And we'd like to thank Carol Mortensen for alerting us to that. And of course, I'm sure it's all over the internet by now, but if not, it should be. So that's there you go. Check it out. It's, it's a fun show. And now at this part of the show, we'd like to dial in Ian Lee on the Zilch Hotline. Ian, can you hear me? Come in, Ian. Can you hear me? Sure can. Does it sound okay? I'm, I'm, um, I, I, let me set the scene for you, Ken. You sound lovely. I'm in bed. I'm, in bed. I, I'm, I'm living the dream here. Good. It's the only way to broadcast. Isn't it just? It, it sounds all right, does it, Tim? It, you sound gr- as good as you do on your show. Bless you. Thank you very it's, much. It's, Thanks so much for this, Ken. Well, uh, first of all, I didn't know you actually had a hotline, uh, and maybe you want to reconsider the word talented, but I'm, I'm wonderful, <laughs> and you've got my name right, Ken, so 
<laughs> yes, it's good to be here. Thank you. And I guess I could say Ian Lee of 7A Records. <laughs> I'm a record producer, man. <laughs> That's it. You have a new Mickey Dolan's album out, and when I say new, it's kind of like in parentheses, but it's new to many of us. The name of the album is, sir? It's Mickey Dolan's The MGM Singles Collection. It is, for the first time ever, it's the ten sides that, uh, the A's and the B's, that Mickey recorded, I guess, I mean, straight after the monkeys, I'm guessing off the top of my head, sort of 71 to 75, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, they were released as singles, they sank without a trace, and this is the first time ever they have been legitimately uh, put together in one place. I'm looking at the Amazon site, and yeah. you are getting not just an album, but you're getting this 12-page booklet of some very cool photographs. Oh man, I'm glad you mentioned this, Ken, because um, I, I, it's, I think it's really important, and I don't think that we've conveyed this well enough. And we haven't got the record; it's, it doesn't, it's not been made yet, so we can't show everybody what they're going to get. The music. Is um is kind of not the the most important thing to me personally in this this thing. Um, the the music is there and it's great. I'll, I'll go into how we source all that in a bit. But this initial release, it's on vinyl, and mm-hmm. lots of people are going, oh, it's, it's on vinyl. It's not fair. Yeah, but stay with me. It's it's a vinyl record, so it's twelve inch vinyl. Uh, the front cover is a gorgeous picture of Mickey. All of the pictures come from Henry Diltz, you know, yes. the famous, he, he photographed the front of the first Crosby, Stills and Nash cover, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of the Doors albums, took loads of pictures of the monkeys. All of these pictures come from Henry Diltz. I think there are about 13 of them. Um, only the cover, the front cover, is a picture that's been seen before. Everything yes. else has never been seen by anybody for, before, exclusive pictures. So the front cover is this gorgeous picture. The, the cover's been designed by my friend Scott Balcony, who some of you may know um, designed the um, uh, Nez Dispenser T-shirts. I know that they turned up at a convention a couple of years ago. Yes. It's, um, it's a gatefold sleeve, so although it's a single al- album, it opens up. Straight away inside, you've got, again, pictures you've not seen, and on one side is the text of an interview that I did with Mickey for this record. It's an exclusive interview. As far as I'm aware, I think it's all pretty much new stories. Hey, we all love Mickey. He tends to tell the same stories again and again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of a shtick. I think I think all of the stories, maybe apart from one about Circus Boy, it's stuff I'd never heard before. Incredible stuff about Mama Cass and John Lennon and Mark Bolan. The vinyl itself for you audiophiles is a 180 gram vinyl, which means it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a proper heavy record. Yes. It's, it's blue, and uh, you also get, guys, uh, a 12 inch, 12 page booklet, again, with more pictures in that nobody has ever seen before. Gary Strobel and Henry Diltz have been amazingly helpful. Uh, and there's also um, uh, a really detailed biography of Mickey from that period, from 71 to 75, written by this great writer, this guy called Mark Kleiner, who was writing a book about this period, and it was gonna be about, ostensibly about Dolan's Jones, Boyce and Hart. I kind of got in touch with him and said, look, that book never happened. Have you got anything we can use? And he just sent over pages and pages of stuff. He is a brilliant writer. So it's not just the record you're getting, you know, it, it is a, it's a whole package. 
I know that, for example, as a Kiss fan and and as a fan of the music of the '70s, and one of the things about those albums of the '70s is it was like getting an experience when you bought the album, and I think that you're kind of recreating that. This 12-inch booklet, it sounds like it's almost the size of a tour book when you think about it. You're going to, you're going to be getting pictures no one's ever really seen before. Yep. It's going to be an excellent first-class 7A production. And you're right, man. It's it's the whole experience. This is this is a package. I hate using the other p word, a product, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't like to you know demean music like that. But this whole thing is a product. You know, you are getting an album that you're going to look at, that you're going to open, that that is 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 weighty. And this booklet, man, I, I you know, the booklet is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And we have done everything we can. Glenn and I, my my, my partner at Seven A. Um, it's selling. What's it selling for on, on on Amazon now? I think it's like twenty quid, twenty one quid. It was eighteen quid. Uh-huh. I've got no idea what that is in dollars. I'm gonna I'm gonna say twenty seven dollars, something like that. I right. don't know. Bottom line, you're getting in this package an album that no one's had access to really ever before, unless yeah. you were lucky enough to buy those forty fives. So you're 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 basically making the past new again. So this yeah. is a new Mickey Dolan's album, new to, to most of us. You're going to get this 12-page booklet. It's going to be on this blue 180-gram vinyl. To me, you're not just buying a, a record. No. You're no, buying it, it, the experience. And it was, it was number one in the vinyl chart, which is insane. Glenn and I have tried to make the record. We've made the record that we wanted to buy and um, you know, I, I, I think it's stunning. I think it's stunning, and I think once people start to see it, they'll they'll realise it's more than just the music, which is still cool. The music's still cool, right? But there's more to it than that. Seven A Records is proud to present Mickey Dolan's The MGM Singles Collection, available for pre-order on Amazon and Amazon UK. Mickey Dolan's The MGM Singles Collection will be released on July 13th. This initial vinyl pressing is limited to 450 copies. Get yours now. This beautiful package and a gatefold sleeve features an exclusive Mickey Dolan's interview, a gorgeous 12-page booklet with previously unseen Henry Dilt's pictures, and blue 180-gram vinyl. Even if you don't have a record player, this is simply stunning. Mickey Dolan's The MGM Singles Collection is a must-have for serious collectors. Available from 7A Records and Entertainment. I'm very excited about this, and again, this is the first initial print run of 450, and there may be another pressing, but it'll never be... I think it's very, very likely there's going to be a few more, but not significantly more. There will never be that original 450 again. No. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you want in on the ground floor, you can buy one and keep it sealed, because I'm telling you, this <laughs> will be a solid rock collector's item. You talk about sealed records. I have got a sealed original copy of Changes, which my dad bought me, God rest his soul, uh, at some point in, uh, I guess, the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Cold Gems, uh, the, the changes. And one day, you know, went towards the end of my life, Kim, when I know it's coming to an end, I'm going to slice open that, um, that plastic ceiling. I'm going to stick my nose in, and I'm going to take in a deep breath of 1970. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's, I, there's something about 
I, I don't know. Is this a guy thing? I don't know if girls do this. It, I, you know, um, there's something about having a sealed record, you know, that you're never going to play, you're never going to properly look at. But there's something really exciting about it. I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have one to play and one I'm going to keep sealed. I know that. Well, I know that the the ritual of vinyl is one of the things that people talk about when they talk about you know it's so much better than cds or mp3s there's a whole ritual and i think what you're talking about kind of clues into that this is something to treasure and we encourage folks here at zilch to seriously snag this while you can we're not trying to sell you a used car or anything we're trying to sell you new new music from mickey that you've never probably heard before and seriously pick it up you're going to regret it if you don't. And can I say, Ken, as well, you know, there are, we, there are other record companies that are issuing, uh, for various groups, you know, I don't want to name any names, but are issuing reissues that are, right. um, some people haven't been particularly happy with, and you kind of get the idea they're doing it to make a fast buck. Uh, Glenn and I, we have spent, I'm not going to say how much, because it terrifies me, and my wife may be listening. Right. We have spent thousands of pounds of our own money. We're just two blokes. We have spent thousands of our pounds of our own money securing the rights to these songs, pressing up the vinyl. We've called in a lot of favours. I mean, the cover's been done um, at mates' rates. The booklet's been done at mates' rates. We, If we sell all of this batch of vinyl, the 450, we won't break even. If we print, let's say, I don't know, maybe another two, three hundred, we're kind of talking about, we sell all of that, I, I don't think we'll break even still. I think we'll still be a little bit below. What we're going to do is we're going to release this on a digital uh, download, so like iTunes and, I don't know, CD Baby, maybe places like that. Mm-hmm. Possibly with bonus tracks, that's something we're looking at. Certainly with the audio of the interview that I did with Mickey, that'll be part of the download. And we're kind of hoping that by selling all of the vinyl, we'll be just below breaking even. With the digital, we'll break even, and we may get a few quid. But but if we break even, we'll be happy. We're not doing this to rip people off and make loads of cash. We're doing it because we want this out here, and if we break even, fantastic. If we make a few quid, bonus, that'll get put into whatever the second project is going to be. By the way, uh, I love, I've never really heard the phrase before, mate rate. As I was saying it, I want. I thought. I wonder if that's going to translate. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. And of course, mate rates is what we call the friends discount here in the U.S. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll start using that if you start using mine. How about that? It works for me. You know, there's a lot of places making vinyl reissues and stuff like that, but this is really for us by us i'm sure you've you've heard of that phrase before yeah. you are a fan yeah. you're doing this be, with the heart of the fan and you're doing it with the the fans interest and and basically what we would like to see so you're you're kind of doing this with us in mind so if you're a diehard mickey monkeys person this is for you uh, yeah it really is you know and um, mickey's behind it mickey is mickey's not making any money out of it we're not paying him any money we, we're gonna. I think we're gonna. I think we're sending Mickey like fifteen copies that I imagine he will sign and sell on his eBay. So that's okay. going to be a collectible thing. You know, he's going to wow. be selling a really limited number of signed copies. We're fans, man. You know, I've, I've been. I've been kind of wanting this to happen for the last four years. I checked my emails. My first email to try and chase up the rights to this was January of. Tw- where are we now? Twenty twenty fourteen. Okay. So. 
this has been a slow process and it's been a learning process I've never put a record out Ian you've talked about making this available as a digital download for those of us who still buy CDs is there any chance of this ever arriving yeah there's a strong chance of it on CD but it's not to license but people say why do you go for vinyl to license it on vinyl boring boring business is cheaper it's just significantly cheaper uh -huh. um, because you're gonna sell less vinyl records I would love this to come out on CD I would love this to come out on CD with bonus tracks we look we're really looking into it uh, we're looking to see if we can afford it to see if it's feasible so yeah you know fingers crossed the, the thing I want to be is I want to be really honest with people and throughout this whole thing I hope you know via the Facebook pages and, and my email and stuff that I've been really approachable and really honest I don't want to say yet yeah, there's gonna be a CD it'll be out in time for Christmas when I don't know that for sure right we're looking at it we're really really looking at it let's all keep our fingers crossed but I can say this that this is how business works folks if you buy the initial thing oh, yeah. it'll help keep things going so oh, this yeah. will, this and, will and it's measure doing, the it's interest doing really well it's let, let me get the ad in Ken you can buy it from um, from pretty much all the Amazons amazon.co.uk amazon.com it may turn up in a few record stores don't bank on it if you do support your local record store uh, but also in the states I know it's going to be available on a website www.ebreggae.com e letter e letter b reggae r e double g a e dot com uh, it's on there as well and we will include that in the show notes bless you man bless you so what can we look forward to coming from 7A Entertainment down the road. <laughs> We're talking to people. Uh, and it's just, I mean, I'm so excited by this. I'm really excited. Okay, I think the one thing I can tell you is Bobby Hart is really interested. Okay, Bobby Hart, the nicest man in the world. He's such a nice guy. And I've spoken to him on the phone, uh -huh. and he is really impressed with what we're doing, totally gets the fact it's by the fans for the fans. We've sent him a copy of the Dolenz LP. He really wants to work with us, and he's got loads of tapes in his vaults of his stuff that he hasn't put out. I don't want to say any more than that. So we're talking to him. Peter Talk's got a copy. You know, it's, it's been sent to his people. I would love, I would love to put out you know, a talk compilation, and if he's got any unreleased tapes, how cool would that be? You know, be I know awesome. there's some stuff floating around. We did, we looked at putting out the live in Japan 1968 tapes, mm -hmm. and Warner Brothers uh, very politely listened to us, and they sent a very um, coded email that said, we cannot grant you license to these tapes, it doesn't fit in with our plans for the monkeys at the moment. Mm. Mm, exactly. Mm. What does that mean? So we said, that, but they, they said, any more requests, please come back to us. Oh. So uh, we looked at that. They said no, but that sounded interesting. Um, Bobby Hart, definitely. I'd love to do something with Peter Talk. I really, really would. And we're also talking to Mickey about more tapes that he's got as well. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing what comes next from 7A Entertainment, and we will be keeping our eyes and ears open. And of course, all the news that's fit to print will be found on Zilch, a monkey's podcast with Ian Lee. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. <laughs> do I have to sing this song, or can I... Uh... <laughs> Whatever you want to do, brother. Um, <laughs> well, Ian, thank you for giving us the news. We look forward to whatever you unearth, and uh, this is exciting times for monkeys fans. Kent, it really is. 
one tiny quick plug to find out about all of our future releases uh, facebook.com forward slash seven the number seven a records facebook.com forward slash seven a records honestly the next few months are going to be very very exciting thank you for being on the show thank you Ken today we're going to look back at the last year of Zilch a little bit we're going to because guess what we're kind of celebrating our birthday which was in May it's still your birthday as long as the balloons are still floating they say it's Zilch's birthday Uh, May 16th 2014 happy birthday guys we made it it's it's our birthday-ish Yes. We're birthday birthday adjacent. Yeah, birthday. Birthday observed. There you go. <laughs> yes. Soon we'll start feeling old and we'll cut it back. No, it's only our eleventh anniversary. There you go. <laughs> so Craig is one of the original Zilchers. Are you surprised we've made it thus this far? I don't think with the collective podcasting experience that we have on this show that it was a shock that we hit one year. Um, I'm more surprised at the amount of episodes we hit because I know when we first came out of the gate with this, your original intention, Ken, was to do one episode a month, which died fairly quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it just became so much fun to monkey around, and the great response from everybody just uh, made us kick it into hyperdrive, if you will. And one of the original Zilchers, Jeff Hewlett. It's, It's been a heck of a year. You, Craig, and myself kind of started this and here we are <laughs> yeah it's crazy right yeah. you know to, to think that you know the, the the genesis of this show I, I i don't know how many of the listeners out there are fully aware i mean we get we seems to get new facebook members every day mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's crazy but you know i don't know how many listeners know where the the genesis of this show actually began right exactly uh, project how, how far out does that story story go so Ken joined us on uh, Craig Cohen and I have another show, and Ken joined us for an episode of that. And afterwards, we I think what did we talk for like an hour and a half, Ken? Yeah, we just kept talking about the monkeys and everything else, and it was decided we were going to do this. Yeah, it was fantastic, and you know it's it's funny because you know you know Craig has listened to you on your podcast for a long, long time, but and uh, you know the first time you were on our other show that you know when I and I first met you, and then we all kind of just talked about. You know our mutual interests and got into music after we were done recording and we we're talking about the Beatles and Kiss and then the Monkees came up and that this was the, the genesis of this show was born out of just a, a casual conversation. It was, it's it's amazing to see how far it's come today uh, and and look at the the genesis of it. You know a year ago. Absolutely. And Sarah, you were the next person to join us. How did you find the show, and, and how did you get here? Kind of like a, a quick recap. I think a friend mentioned it on Tumblr. So I checked it out. I uh, hopped on iTunes immediately because I've been wanting a Monkeys podcast forever. I listened to episode zero, found the Facebook group, and then I basically made a comment on the group saying, you know, hi, I've got this website called Fandom Lenses. I have a bit of a Tumblr following. If there's anything I can do to promote the show, just let me know. And then... I'd say about five minutes later, Ken instant messages me and asks if we can talk. So he called me 
of a sudden I was being offered a spot to be a commentator on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to think about this for a second, because it's like, on one hand, I've always kind of wanted to try podcasting, and, you know, monkeys, yay. Um, but it's like, I had a lot of other stuff going on in my life with work stuff and PhD and all this. But, you know, at the end of the day, I knew that this is something that... Um, you know, my friend Anissa, who I've talked about on the show before mm-hmm. several times, she would have done this if she'd had the opportunity. And since she didn't have the opportunity, I was going to go ahead and cover this one for her. And so I said yes, and it has been every worth every last little bit of lost sleep and stress and thinking far too much about Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> and we also had Craig Smith and uh, Chris Karam who were part of the show and Chris Cameron will be returning again and Craig has Craig Smith has went on to do his Pods and Sod show and we wish him the best with that and Melanie you kind of became a staffer soon after I think I may have sprained a thumb reaching for my mouse (laughs) (laughs) the minute I heard that uh, the podcast was going to be doing television show episode commentaries um, I was absolutely enthralled and pleased and tickled and I immediately reached out to I think it was you Jeff Hewlett um, saying hey I wrote a book about the TV show and I'd be happy to provide any consultation information you might need please feel free to use me as a resource I'd really love to help I never actually dreamed y'all would put me in front of a microphone (laughs) (laughs) well we didn't either but it worked out that way uh, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're glad to have you on staff. And Jeff Geringer, uh, what's your zilch intro story? Well, I just basically started as a tremendous fan, especially Sarah and Melanie. And the, the comments that I, were hear, I was hearing, it was like something, here we're accepted. There's other people that feel the same way I do. And mm-hmm. I can take all this stupid information I've been collecting for 49 years and put it to good use. Excellent. And we also want to send a shout out to the ghosty with the mosty, ghosty Timmers, David Wills. Uh, he's just excellent, and we're glad to have him on staff full time. And uh, just he's an excellent best. guy. He mm-hmm. really is amazing. There's a lot of friends that we've met along the way, like Ian Lee and Al Bigley, and so many. Uh, where to start and stop? Rich Dart, Cersei Link, Coco. And it just goes on and on, and I'm going to leave somebody out and make a full Bobby out of Hart. Mind. Bobby Hart. There you go. So Fred Velez. Yes, yes, Fred. Fred, we love you, and we are so glad that you're a contributor. Your last interview with the Jones Girls was just amazing and really made that episode for me. And we picked people up along the way, including Melinda Gildart. Could you tell us your zilch origin story? I would have to blame it all on Melanie, and she totally doesn't know this, but... Um, I was frequenting the Monkeyland forum, and I saw her post a link to the podcast, and I, you know, clicked on it and just was hooked from the beginning, from the first episode, and I was just so happy. I found just tons of information on the forum about the monkeys, and I felt, you know, just so welcome there, but then once I, you know, got into the Facebook page and started listening to the episodes, um, it's just been a great ride, and I just look forward to every episode as eagerly as some of my, you know, broadcast TV <laughs> episodes. So it's it's just been a, bit, a great ride. So thank you, Melanie. This is oh, all because so, of you. <laughs> it's all your fault. Um. <laughs> yes, it is. 
And, you know, if you're out there in the Twitterverse, you, you can find our feed. If you're emailing us, which people do, uh, that's great. But I will say this, that the, the Zilch Facebook page is really the other side of the show. Wouldn't you agree, Craig? Oh, oh totally. It, it is an extension of the show. It's the place to go in between episodes or, more importantly, after you listen to an episode. Because no matter what we talk about on the show, there is always an active group discussion related to it after the album roundtables you'll get people agreeing or disagreeing with a point of view one of us had on the color cast commentaries that we do people answer questions that might have been asked during the commentary so i love the interaction that we have in between episodes it's just a, a joy to see and um really shows what a great community there is there Agreed 100%. So, folks, if you're not on Facebook, we encourage you to get on Facebook and to like the Zilch page. It is really the other half of the discussion. Jeff Hewlett, do you have a favorite episode of Zilch or one that kind of sticks out to you over the last year? <laughs> oh, great question. And I'm glad that you asked that. And I think that if I had to look back on the episodes of Zilch and pick one, that that I I love the most. Uh, I I would probably have to go with our discussion on the self-titled first album, because I really love the 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 fact that we had that that knockdown drag out uh, with with Craig Cohen over Let's Dance On, and that has lived on through multiple <laughs> other episodes after that. I mean, I I love the fact that I've been vilified for taking that stance on that song and having that, you know, uh, the, that audible fisticuff blow-by-blow match with not only Craig but other people on that episode. So I, I that's, a, that's something that's near and dear to me. And, you know, usually uh, in, in real life, I'm not one that plays the villain. Uh, I usually always kind of, you know, take the middle road. But, uh, you know, being the villain in that scenario kind of gives me a little bit of a, a kind of a fuzzy feeling. So, uh, you know, that, that, that has to fuzzies. be my favorite moment so far. Well, there you go. Craig, do you have a favorite moment in the year or so of Zilch that we've been doing? I, I could say that I have some favorite episodes. I really enjoyed episode six, which was the Monkeys Conventions and more. Um, having never gone to a convention, that was a really great discussion for me to be a part of to sort of get an idea of what went on at those at those conventions and wh- what I have look, uh, to look forward to um, as we approach the 50th anniversary and, and hopefully future conventions. Uh-huh. I also really enjoyed, from a, a moment standpoint, um, that first commentary track we did, or the color cast commentary we did on episode 7 um, for the episode Royal Flush. Huh. Excellent. Sarah? I struggled to find some favorites. I guess uh, I, I would pick out two things. Uh, one of my favorite things was uh, the Cersei, uh, Cersei Lincoln Christian Nesmith interview. Uh-huh. That was so great learning about their work and also just more about them as people. I was already a fan of what Cersei does, but that really uh, kind of brought it to another level. And then my sentimental favorite, obviously, has to be when we got to interview our monkey man, uh, Zach Mortensen, for the uh, Christmas episode. That was yes. a lot of fun, and he was a great guest. That was very cool. That was excellent. He was also or, our first ordained monkey man. So Yes. <laughs> Melanie? Well, I'm going to pick two moments, too. One of them on the um, 
podcast itself and one of them sort of podcast adjacent. Um, <laughs> the, the podcast episode that is my favorite was um, your interview with Marty Ross, Zilch episode 19 about the oh, new yes. monkeys. That was such an amazing story, and it was so funny and so heartbreaking at the same time. I, I have never stopped recommending it to people. Sometimes I have to hold them down, but <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it anyway. Um, that was an amazing story and an amazing revelation. I think that was probably the most eye-opening thing I've ever heard on the podcast. Um, my favorite uh, podcast-adjacent moment was uh, last Thanksgiving when Craig, Craig, Jeff, and I went to the Shoe Suede Blues show. Yes. Together. That was a lot of fun. Oh, excellent. totally, Melanie. That was a, we... a, a great night. Excellent, excellent. Jeff Geringer, do you have a favorite Zilch moment? Well, yeah. Actually, I like any episode that has a color commentary. I, I find it hysterical, starting with Ghostly's amazing sponsorships <laughs> through the facts that Melanie throws out. I just, I had the best time with them. But I think oh. probably my, my overall favorite episode was the debate on more the monkeys album it was so fun to hear everyone pile on the day we fall in love i swear (laughs) i almost drove off the road yes oh but ghosty's defense of it was even better yes it was and he was right (laughs) melinda what are some of your favorite uh zilch moments I would have to say the uh, headquarters side to um, is probably my favorite. Um, that was on my short list. Yeah. <laughs> I too. <laughs> because Sunny Girlfriend, I think I will fight anyone who doesn't like Sunny Girlfriend. That's my, one of my favorite tunes. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to jump through the computer <laughs> you know, and, and get into the discussion. So absolutely headquarters side to... <laughs> Well, Jeff then, Hewlett says that he loves being the villain, right, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, thinking back on that, I, 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 I barely remember. I remember the gist of the conversation, but I, I don't remember my exact words. I think other people remember them better than I do. And one of those people was a former member of this show, uh, Craig Smith, and I've had this conversation with him multiple times. And, uh, I haven't had the nerve to go back and listen to uh, that recording again uh, in quite some time, but I, I remember uh, Craig pointing out to me that I, I was talking about like punching you or something, Ken. I yeah, I think so. I don't remember saying that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I was getting a little heated over that. But all right, no more, Mister Nice Guy. <laughs> it was a fun. It was a fun discussion. I, you know, it's. It, it's amazing how passionate you can get over, uh, you know, these these songs. And I'm going to be on the other end of those conversations uh, a little while from now when we get into Ooh. some of the later records that, that I know some of you guys don't find too uh, enthralling and I happen to really love. So I'm, I'm sure I'll get my comeuppance uh, in, in the <laughs> next few months for that sunny girlfriend. So don't worry about fighting me. All right. Believe me, I'll, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me get mine. And it's great because we can all share our opinions and nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Unless you're uh, arguing with me. So anyway. (laughs) But Sarah's going to be putting up a poll of some of the episodes, and you can kind of pick and let us know what your favorite 
zilch moment is from the first year of the, sh- the show. Sound good? Absolutely. Just go to your facebook.com and just in the, uh, in the search box, type in zilch, a monkey's podcast. It will take you to our group, join up, and then you will be able to vote in the poll. There you go. With his thoughts on the first year of zilch, here's Ghosty Timmers. Well, if I had to pick my favorite moment from the first year of the Zilch podcast, it would have to be a moment that never actually aired on the podcast. And that would be when I first found out that Ken Mills was thinking of putting together a podcast dedicated to the monkeys. Now, I had been familiar with Ken's work on the Podkist, which is his Kiss fan podcast that he does with uh, Gary Shallard and a bunch of other people. And what I liked about that show, which has been around seemingly forever, <laughs> what I like about that particular program is that it's a sane Kiss podcast. In other words, <laughs> there are other podcasts devoted to Kiss. Now there are millions of them, but back then there were only a handful. And Podkiss, I believe, was the first. And they treated the subject matter of Kiss which can be controversial with a great deal of respect and enthusiasm and, dare I say it, class. And that would be class with a K. And when I heard he was doing a Monkeys podcast, I knew right from the start that he was going to bring that same class and joie de vivre and everything else to a discussion about the Monkeys. I couldn't wait for it to start. I can't remember how I found out that uh, Ken was a fan of the Monkeys, Either he posted something on Facebook or I posted something on Facebook and either he commented on my post or I commented on his post, but we got to talking and uh, I was all for it. I thought it was a great idea because I had been searching for podcasts uh, devoted to my favorite bands. I went looking everywhere for uh, discussions about the monkeys and you find them here and there in various different podcasts, but a show devoted solely to the monkeys, I was in. I thought it was a great idea. I've listened to every single episode, and I still think that the show gets better and better. Who knew? Who knew that the new monkeys would be so darn fascinating that we would all become new monkeys fans? I never thought that would happen. I still can't believe it's happened, but I'm grateful that it's happened, and I'm grateful to the Zilch Podcast. Michael Nesmith was a recent guest on Gilbert Godfrey's podcast. What's it called? Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Yes. No, no, I'm amazing. He's colossal. There you go. I'm podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael Nesmith was a guest on it, and he said some things that rocked the world of the Monkees fan. He said this. Take a listen to this. 35 million records is complete fabrication. Really? It's totally bogus. It is a class A mendacity. It's a lie. It's not true. We never sold 35 million records. And the reason I know this as such an absolute fact is because I made it up. And I told it to a guy in Australia as the truth. And it's complete 
fiction. What about this idea that you outsold the Beatles and the Stones combined in 67? Absolutely falsely. Really? Absolute falsehood. And what, what happened was this. I thought, <clears throat> how do we get our arms around this authenticity thing here? What are we doing genuine, 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 schmenuine? I mean, I don't know where this goes. I can't. As an artist, this is a really important thing for me. I, gotta, I, I have to do So I'm done with the monkeys. I'm on, on, in Australia doing rock and country rock and the stuff that I want to do. And I'm watching the news, and I'm thinking, there's something wrong with the news. There's something wrong with people in the news. These are not – I'm not getting the truth here. This is weird. And I have an interview. I'm, staying, I'm on the roof of a hotel, uh, one of those pools on the roof of a hotel with this uh, stringer from the local newspaper, which is just local in like Sydney or Melbourne. It's a big, big gun. And um, – he comes and he says, well, I, I – and he's obviously got the press report, and he's I've got the press release. What he wants to do is he wants to write the press release and go home. Let me just put the press release in the paper. This is fine with us. I just need the 1,200 words, and, and it's so really nice to meet you. Take a couple of pictures. I'm out of here. I said, hang on a minute. And I said, I want to talk to you a little bit about press, and I want to talk to you a little about journalism. I want to talk to you a little bit about where you get your facts from, and how are you coming up with stuff if you're just printing press releases and stuff. This guy starts to squirm a little bit, and I said, because i tell you what's going to happen in this interview here. I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you lies. And he, he said, well, why are you going to do that? And I said, well, I'm just going to be interested to see what happens because I don't know what's going to uh, how these things come about. And from what I understand, you're an important writer and uh, opinion maker. Well, I want to know. And he said, well, I'm very uncomfortable with this. I said, well, I suspect you would be. <laughs> and he said, well, well, if you're lying to me, how, how will I know, how will I know if, if you start telling me the truth? I said, you won't. That's how, that's how a lie works. You don't know whether somebody's lying to you. And he said, well, should we do the interview? I said, yes, very definitely. Let's do the interview. Plug my microphone in. That's, that's something a lot of people do to me. And- <laughs> Following you around. <laughs> I said, I said, plug, <laughs> I said, plug my microphone in. I got. I, I want to tell you. He said, well, <clears throat> is it true that you uh, read an ad for the paper? Uh, to get it? I said, yeah. Uh-huh. He said, okay. And he gets more and more nervous because I'm just answering just complete blank, flat. No, I have no tell because I don't play poker. And he, and he. So um, <clears throat> you guys have uh, – you've been uh, very successful recording, haven't you? And I said, yes, we really have. have been very successful. Uh, and uh, did you, your last record was gold. I said, oh, yeah, it was more than gold. I said, they can't even really keep count because all we – high, high that it goes is gold. He said, well, gold is uh, – that's like 500,000. I mean, I said, well, but you see, you don't, what you don't understand is there's a worldwide count. The last two records that we sold sold 35 million records. And he said, really? I said, yeah. That, I said, you may not understand it, but that's more than the Beatles and the Stones combined. And he said, <laughs> that's him writing. <laughs> He's writing it down. Really? And I said, yeah, more than the Beatles. And I said, of course, nobody knows it because it's, you know, people are stealing from us all the time and everything. But it's, it's, uh, it's huge. It's so much bigger than anybody knows. So – Next day, thing goes in the paper. I read the paper. It says, and they've sold 35 million records. I went, yikes, look at this. He printed it. The guy printed it. I can't believe this. He printed it. But I don't say a word. 
So this is years, years past, and now suddenly, and 35 million records. Of, hold on, where was that? That's in the New York Times. Get out of here. That's in the New York Times. Incredible. This has become a meme before there are no memes. We're still in print. We don't. We hadn't. And and then the next thing you know, it's it's on the air. And if you Google it today. If you Google it today, Google the the sacred, sanctified search engine, guess what you'll read? We sold 35 million records, more than the Beatles and the Stones combined. It's also, I made it up. That's hilarious. And my mic was plugged in. My mic was plugged in. You have not stopped me, Gottfried. You have not stopped me. Try it, try it. I'll see you next Gestalt, and I'm giving you a watch that doesn't work. Listen to me. Listen to me. So, so basically, everything in this interview has been complete and utter bullshit. I'm not telling yeah. you. Figure that out for yourself. Now, can I ask you the most important question to me? <laughs> <clears throat> Great. Thanks, Mike. So, what is the truth? After listening to that, Jeff Hewlett, what do you think of this? Can we trust Mike Nesmith? What how, is this is this the truth? What is the truth? Oh, that's funny. What are your thoughts well, after hearing that recording? Wow, I have I have several different thoughts after hearing that recording. I'm I'm just trying to figure out which one I'm going to start with. Um Number one, uh, I, I'll tell you that I'm a big fan of Andy Kaufman. Uh-huh. So I, I hope a lot of the people in the audience know who Andy Kaufman is. I, I love that, uh, that, that kind of sociopathic type of humor. So hearing that Nez purposely did this, you know, he purposely made this up to see if they would print it, I think that's brilliant. So, you know, I, I kind of have my hat off to him for, for doing that kind of a social experiment and seeing where the media would go with this information, not even not fact check it and just put it out there. And, and the fact that it's perpetuated on to this day and major news outlets like The New York Times reprinted it. Right. So I, I think that that proves uh, a lot about our media. And I, I kind of applaud him for doing that. But on the other hand, uh the thought that the monkeys and I got I'm gonna get crucified for saying this and I, I monkey fans believe I, I don't want to to trash the monkeys I love the monkeys just as much as you do but I always thought there was something fishy about that the that they outsold the Beatles and the Stones combined line I never believed that I couldn't figure out how they could possibly have done that and. I wanted to believe, but I always had that skepticism in my head. I, and and to hear that it was actually fabricated is almost a relief. You know, being a Beatles fan, not a Stones fan at all, but being a Beatles fan, I never, I, I never could fathom that the Monkees could have outsold them. Just it just didn't make sense to me. Craig Cohen, what are your thoughts? Definitely interesting to hear Mike talk like that, and. <sighs> It's really hard to know, and he even he even says it, you know, what's truth and what's a lie there. Like Jeff Hewlett said, uh, I find it very hard to believe. And take the 35 million albums sold out of the equation. If you talk about outselling something and 
network TV does this all the time. Radio does this all the time. If you go to a certain day or a certain area or a certain demographic, you can have something beat something else, Uh um, all depending on how you sort of crunch that data. So you could say, you know, in this town, in this on this date, the monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones at that record store on Main Street. You know, that's something that you could run with and, you know, create a headline out of. I also find it hard to believe that a journalist would take Mike at his word and run with that without fact checking it, especially back, you know, at a time when journalists maybe were a little bit more um, detail oriented or actually check their facts or check their sources. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I don't know. It definitely makes for an entry interesting discussion i mean we're talking about it right now yep. well sarah what are your thoughts i know you were excited because you got to hear mike say the f word but uh what are your thoughts on this particularly okay we got to take a step back here um, <laughs> the question is basically comes down to and remember everybody this is the person who set half the fandom into a nervous breakdown over telling us that Jimmy Fallon was going to sing Daydream Believer. Uh-huh. We all need to remember this. The question is whether he was yanking a reporter's chain in the 1960s or early 70s or whenever this thing was, because he was pretty vague, uh-huh. or if he's yanking our chains now. But I remember seeing Andrew Sandoval basically laughing this off in a Facebook comment and reminding the people that were freaking out in the comment thread to consider the source. Oh. Um, from what I understand, and I am not an expert, I, you know, that, that's not my line, I am not that, there is some statistical evidence backing up the more Beatles than Stones thing in 1967, just taking 1967 on its own. They put out three albums. Uh, the Beatles and the Stones were kind of having slow years by their standards. Uh-huh. So, but so so. But in any case, let's move on from there. It's pretty obvious that this was not a literal confession from Nez that he decided to go on Gilbert Godfrey to do this. This appears to be Nez telling a parable about how stupid journalists are. Stupid reporters. I mean, he's been talking about this since Daily Nightly, and and there are other lyrics. Go listen to Admiral Mike sometime. I mean, he does not have a lot of love for the profession of journalism. He's also arguing implicitly that the whole issue of proving artistic merit via some arbitrary measure of popularity is bull****. And he's got a point. Again, listen to his lyrics. This the Calico Girlfriend might be a good one to kind of listen to with that thought in mind. And, and just listen to Gilbert's show. It's basically just a bunch of random celebrities going off script and sharing wild, poli- inaccurate, and politically incorrect anecdotes. Uh-huh. Nez's bullshit in his interview totally fits the theme. So that, that's my thought. All right. So that's, uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's pretty scary. You know, it's even more scary. What? You can't say on television. <laughs> Melanie Mitchell. Well, never mind the fact that it made it into the New York Times. <laughs> the factoid that the monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones is in the very first sentence of my book. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, not just yours. Everybody else's that has written a book about I the mean, monkey. I mean, that is your first sentence. <laughs> That's really why I'm standing behind it, because I was Melanie's fact checker. Right. <laughs> so I have a little something invested in the veracity of the statement, which I did not personally fact check. I had always understood that um, factoid to be specifically about the year 1967, which was an incredibly productive year for the monkeys, and the one year, calendar year, in which they were on television in prime time at all times. Um, and then I think back to that old uh, paradox, I always lie, and I'm lying now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. It's... It, it was a case of, as Sarah expressed it, you know, what is the truth? What, when was he lying and when was he telling the truth? What can we believe? Um, I have heard him in another uh, audio clip uh, from our friend Ian Lee, uh, an interview from several years ago, playing with Ian Lee's head to the point where Ian Lee was doubled over with giggles. Mm-hmm. Um, poor guy, I really felt sorry for him, but he, he likes to mess with people's heads. Let's just say it. Was it a manipulation? If it was, it was incredibly successful. But I, I don't know. Who knows? We'll never know. Here's another question. You know, that factoid, which gets thrown around so much, are they talking about domestic sales? Are they talking about international sales? Are they talking about albums? Are they talking about albums and singles? You know, what is the measure you're using? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it may be true. Who knows? Maybe right. he accidentally came up with the truth in his lie. I don't know. But, you know, one of the biggest points about that thing that I think he was trying to make is it doesn't matter how many albums they sold. It's really irrelevant at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And Melinda Gildart, what are, you, what are your thoughts off the top of your head? Well, let's just say I listened to that clip multiple times. I immediately jumped into accountant mode and started crunching numbers. <laughs> so if you t- immediately with, you know, without, you know, thinking that this is Nev and, you know, he could be totally yanking our chain on this. I immediately jumped into accountant mode and started crunching numbers. It is so very possible that this is true. If you combine the album sales with the single sales, remember they had, you know, all these million seller singles also, in addition to the album sales, it is absolutely possible. But after about the 10th play, and hearing Gilbert Gottfried at the end just say, so you're telling me everything that you told me is, is bullshit. And I'm like, you know what? This is bullshit. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Like, wait a minute. I just spent the last hour like doing all this research and, you know, with my Adam machine here. But I, I think he was totally yanking our chains. And I think that, you know, him poking fun at the media was also relevant in, in that interview. Um, but absolutely not do I believe that this happened. <laughs> Jeff Geringer, your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think we need to establish what the quote is because it's been used by PR people forever. Uh And the actual quote is that the monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones together in 1967. And I've always heard it in the United States because Uh it's hard to go after, you know, all the different record sales and countries. Right. It's kind of interesting. In addition to Melinda, I also did a lot of number crunching. And let me just throw some stuff out at you. Uh, the best-selling album of 1967 was More the Monkeys. It was released in January of 67 and stayed at the number one spot for 18 weeks. Ironically, 
More of the Monkees took the place of the Monkees' debut album at number one, which had been there for 13 weeks. So between 1966 and 67, the Monkees had the number one spot for 31 consecutive weeks. The Monkees, of course, still had holdover from the debut album. It sold 5 million copies and was split between the two years. Headquarters, which was stuck at number two, but sold 2 million copies in the U.S. And that's just albums. And singles, they had three hit singles in 67. Little Bit Me, A Little Bit You, which went to number one for a week. Pleasant Valley Sunday, which reached number three. And then Daydream Believer, that spent four weeks at number one. The Beatles, they had Sgt. Pepper, obviously one of the greatest rock albums of all time was released in June of 67. It stayed on the top of the charts for 15 weeks. In December, they released Magical Mystery Tour. That was on top for one week. As far as singles go, the Beatles had three hit singles that's actually similar to the Monkees. Um, they had Penny Lane in March, reached number one for a week. All You Need Is Love, reached number one in a week for one week in July. And then Hello Goodbye was number one for three weeks in December. The Rolling Stones really don't even go into this equation. They only released two singles in 67. The only hit was Ruby Tuesday. Uh-huh. Uh, in 67, they had two albums. One peaked at 47, one peaked at 30. So here's the tale of the tape. In total hit singles in 1967, the Monkees had three. And of those three, they spent five weeks at number one. The Beatles had three hit singles. And of those three, they spent five weeks at number one. The Rolling Stones had two singles, and only one was number one for one week, Ruby Tuesday. Here's where I think it tips towards the Monkees. Total hit albums in 1967. The Monkees released three LPs. They were at number one for 23 weeks. The Beatles had two LPs. They were number one for 16 weeks. The Stones released two albums. They were never number one. So if you say as it's quoted that the Monkees outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones combined in 1967 in the United States. I think the tale of the tape proves the Monkees are the champion. And Nez, once again, is playing with our minds. Yes. Yeah, Jeff, if I could jump in there and just add one other thing, and that is that Sergeant, while Sergeant Pepper was number one, headquarters was number two that whole time. I don't know if it was the whole time, but it, it stopped headquarters from becoming number one. Correct. Yeah. But it stayed. I, I had heard that headquarters sat at number two for at least the whole summer. Yes, which it means did. it may not have been number one, but it was darn close to number one. Yes, right. but we've, we've also heard that the uh, monkeys outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in 1960. Yeah, right. So, anyway, so, Jeff Hewlett? Well, I, I'm, I'm putting forth a theory on how it could be possible. Okay, go for it. The theory is, is that at the time that the monkeys were rising... The Beatles were falling in the sense that they went from She Loves You and I Want to Hold Your Hand to Eleanor Rigby and things like that. Something that a teenage girl or boy might not exactly glom on. And a lot of their singles were becoming more avant-garde or more bizarre, less mainstream, if you will. Okay. So there's that. Then John Lennon says we're bigger than Christ. Yes. Yep. And there was that whole thing where touring became a thing. The Beatles stopped touring. They're growing all this facial hair. Basically, whatever teen fan base they had was probably going to the monkeys. I think we can all agree on that level. It would help us if we found out how much the Beatles were selling at the time. But let me ask you this, Jeff Hewlett. Would you be surprised if... 
I said the monkeys sold 30 million albums, 40 million albums, 50 million albums, because I know that, like, for example, I look at Kiss, they're like at 100 million albums, you know. Let me put it this way. It would be a, a heck of a lot easier if there was an actual account of or count of how much the monkeys had sold. It would make all this much easier. Agreed. Would it surprise me is the question? Yes, yes. it would. It would surprise me. And that's not to say the monkeys were not worthy of selling a lot of records. And I, I firmly believe that they are. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I own all of their albums multiple times over with every reissue. So, but, you know, I, I think that um, the Beatles, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I can phrase this without making it sound bad. But I think the Beatles are in a different league. Um and I, I just, it would really, really shock me if uh, if the monkeys in, in the, you know, if you think about the, the time period in which the monkeys were producing albums that would have sold very heavily, it wasn't as long as a, an, an amount of time that the Beatles were selling albums that would have sold right. in, the, in those quantities. I mean, the monkeys, maybe the first, what, four albums, maybe five would have been big sellers and like the entire Beatles catalog are humongous sellers. So I don't know. I'm to, to, to say that they could, and you know, it, it's fair to say too, that, you know, this isn't a time period in history in the 1960s where we don't, we didn't have the technology for tracking these types of things like we do today. Right. It was all right. pretty much done on paper. We didn't have a lot of, you know, computer technology that was capable of tracking sales in different parts of the world. So, you know, in, in other countries that outside of the United States and the UK and big, big record sales countries, we don't really, we, it's really hard to know what the real sales were. But, you know, to, to take Nesmith at his word, that, that that was a number that he just threw out there, it kind of shed some light on things, I think. It, you know, that one number has propagated its way out, you know, from that one interview and is still being quoted today as being factual. It wasn't like, you know, they're not saying that, um, you know, Colgum's or Rhino Records is saying this was the amount of sales that were, uh, you know, tallied over the years. So I don't know. It, it's 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 really tough to say. But would it surprise me if the Monkees had outsold the Beatles? Yes, it very much would. And from 2010, here's Ian Lee with Michael Nesmith as Nez drives poor Ian crazy. <laughs> well, literally, in that you all jump off the bridge, and of course, metaphorically, that it wasn't advertised as a monkey's film. It had a, a rating, so kids couldn't see it. It was, it was a strange plan. Yeah, no, it was. It was definitely. Oh, it was a definite plan to bury the whole thing, take yeah. it down. To you know, and then we didn't. You know, we didn't do anything else after that ever. Now, listen, you, 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 you've mentioned the monkeys, and I wasn't going to mention them because I. I okay, of... well, then I'll talk to you later. It was really great, <laughs> and this has been really terrific. <laughs> He's going. Go ahead. He's go going. Ahead. No, it's just because I was. I was. I've always been led to believe that you were kind of quite reticent to talk about them and, and didn't really want to look at them anymore. Have, have you kind See, of mellowed? One, no, no, no. It's another one of those myths. Right. They get started out there. You just don't believe that stuff. Okay. No. What do you want to know? Okay. I will ask you one monkey's question, then we'll move on. Oh, Is I it... don't take any monkey's questions, Ian. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Michael, for goodness sake. No, go ahead, go ahead. Go I, ahead I can barely ahead. speak. <laughs> Is it true that the four of you got... No, I'm sorry, and I really don't take any more. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll talk about the monkeys all you want. Go ahead. 
I swear, I swear to God, if, if, only, if only David Jones had replied to the emails, this wouldn't be happening. Is it true? Oh, I'm sorry, Ian. Eloise, don't encourage him, for God's sakes. Did the four of you get together in 1974 to talk about a reunion, but you'd only do it if they made a movie? Is that true? No, it's not true. Okay, then. That's... Oh, yes, it is true. Wait a minute. Yes, it is true. <laughs> oh, no, no. No, it's not true. <laughs> no, it's true, Ian. Hang it on. Is Let true. me just write this down. Michael Nesmith is the difficult monkey. Okay, right. We've got that. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I don't talk about the monkeys, Ian. <laughs> You also have to take into account that a lot of the songs that could have been singles really never became singles from the monkeys. For example, I'm sure that we could probably pick songs that we thought would have been 45s, but for whatever reason just never made it. Like, for example, Mary Mary. You know, that's a song that seems to have found its way among fans. But there was like one single off of certain album and then you take into account that there were no singles off of headquarters mm-hmm. does that bulk up the numbers a little bit more you know because if a kid wanted to buy instead of going and buying you know uh 145 he he had to buy the whole album yeah I, you know that's 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 a a valid train of thought you know i i I can't debate that. It's, it's definitely um, a factor. But when you, if you're talking about total number of sales, you have to look at the Beatles in the same light. And the Beatles had an innumerable amount of 45s. Right. Right. I mean, you, 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 today we don't think about the Beatles in terms of 45s. But if you, if you take their catalog and you look at the past masters, discs one and two, those were essentially all the 45s, the right. A and B sides, right? Right. So, um, with a couple of exceptions, there were some EPs thrown in there. But, you know, the, the sheer number of, of um, sellable discs, albums plus 45s, you know, I, I just, I, the comparison is just, does, it doesn't equate necessarily. So, if you were going to take the, the number of sales of the Headquarters album, say, you know, a, you know, a, a teenage girl in the, in the, the late 1960s, 1967, she has so much money that's available to her and she's going to spend you know a little bit of money on a 45 from the Beatles or from another band or spend all of her money on one LP it's it's tough to say you know whether she would actually opt to to, to buy one album to get one song or buy a couple of 45s to get three or four songs right yeah, I don't know. It, it's 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 a tough thing to 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 equate. And we'll never really truly know, I guess, because those numbers are. Can we really actually know the number of sales without having the the technology that's available today? Right. It's really difficult to to trace those retail channels, manufacturing channels, and you know how many albums were produced, how many albums were moved from the distributors into the stores, how many albums were sold from the stores to actual people. How many wound up staying in the stores and getting destroyed when they didn't sell? It's really, really tough to say. Well, Jeff Hewlett, you mentioned earlier about debating this issue. The problem is is that the only facts we have we're finding out may not have been facts at all. It's almost like in this interview, uh, it's almost like interviewing the Joker. 
<laughs> He's telling you, I'm lying to you, but here's the truth. And uh, Mike's, mm-hmm. Mike seems to be running a chess game that's always one step ahead. So Sure. Well, you know what? I'm more apt to believe that he was BSing in the, in the original interview and telling the truth now than vice versa. Okay. So. Excellent. And here's the interview with Andrew Sandoval. You guys were number two for the entire summer. You had the number two album right under Sgt. Pepper. With no airplay. Right, you had no single off the album. I was always under the impression that the FM guys had just banded together, kind of like the uh, like the Hall of Famers, and had just said, no, you know, these they don't deserve this. We're not going to play any more monkeys music. Anyway, yeah, 67 was the big year. That was the, uh, that was the... Uh, that's the one I remember. The Monkees outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in 1967. And you think that's true? I do think it's true. But, Amazing. But, you know, that's based on the fact that the Monkees had four number one albums all in the, the course of about 18 months. We hope that disproves some rumors. They had three number one records at that point. Wow. Who, who knew where all that money and, and uh, those records went? <laughs> Gosh, I have no idea... That clip is courtesy of monkeys.com and monkeysconcerts.com. Greg, can you imagine a, a way that this is actually real? That that the that that this stat would have been real. Sure, sure, and it's like you know we talked about earlier, and, and Melinda sort of or or Melanie um, expounded on it. Um, in terms of, you know, what are you looking at? Are you looking at domestic sales? Are you looking at singles? What exactly are you looking at? And then if you couple that with um, the numbers that, or the stats that Jeff G um, presented, um, it definitely makes a, a really good argument in favor of the monkeys. That's his rap name, Jeff G, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> From the streets of L.A. Um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> Uh, Sarah, your thoughts? I think that I believe that the Beatle, the Monkees outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in record sales in the United States in this, you know, specifically defined area. Um, at the end of the day, I think I agree with what uh, both Jeffs said. Uh, it was a transitional period for the Beatles, and they were kind of ensconced in the recording studio, getting ready to, to you know, unleash Sgt. Peppers on the world, uh-huh. and the playing field was kind of open for the monkeys, who were basically having their peak moment. I can believe that the monkeys, at a peak, outsold the Beatles in a brief transient lull between sort of the first phase and the second phase of their careers. Now we have talked a little bit about how, for example, uh, the the Beatles' uh, 45s had turned into, you know, instead of love and things like that, it went to Eleanor Rigby and you know, as as we discussed earlier. But there's also this other factor that would have, I think, worked in the fact that. Uh, or, or, or had it actually been this way, had there been more 45s released by the Monkees? Because they are kind of stingy with how many they are putting out. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff Geringer? 
Yes and no. I mean, the, the Beatles just flooded the market uh, in 63, 64, 65. Mm-hmm. And so when the Monkees came along, the advantage the Monkees has is that a couple of those singles were were flip side hits as well. Right. You know, Stepping Stone was the flip to I'm a Believer. Right. And then the flip of Pleasant Valley Sunday was Words, and they both got, mm-hmm. you know, nice play for them. Right. I agree. But I just wonder if it would have done more. But on the other hand, you also had this vehicle that was dropping new music weekly into people's homes. So, mm-hmm. Melanie, any thoughts along those lines? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I would have to say just, you know, my take on it is that you know, you, there is some measure by which you could do Beatles plus Rolling Stones is less than Monkey's if you take, you know, the one year or the one country or the one definition, it, it'll work out. But but yeah, it was the exposure that, that sold all the records. I mean, they had that incredible weekly cash register thing going on where every Monday night they were pushing the the image of the band, the music of the band, and the name of the band, and it it was it was a marketing genius. Uh-huh. Yeah, for, forget the world's first music videos. These were in a sense the world's first infomercials. Right, I, I dig that. Absolutely. Now, Melinda, let me ask you this. Uh, I believe it was Craig Cohen that was talking about how the reporter probably should have been checking the stats, especially in light of the fact of things like the monkeys don't record their own music and all the controversy that was surrounding them. What do you think about that, Melinda? Well, I definitely think that this would have been something that occurred you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, whenever, because Ness kind of skipped around as far as the time frame uh-huh. in, that, uh, in that interview. But yeah, Monkees did not play on their records. They had already gotten the backlash as, you know, not being real, you know, being a real band. So why would this reporter just take him at his word and then go and print this, you know, astronomical number at that time? Uh-huh. So. And who played with us back then about when Monkees don't play their own instruments? Who called the reporter? Michael Nesmith. Yes. Correct. You want, why, don't, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't you talk a little bit about that, Jeff Geringer? Well, you know, if you followed Mike all these years, he does. He plays with everyone, especially interviewers. Um, it's impossible to get straight answers for him. I don't know how many of you were at the convention that he actually admitted and allowed us to do a, a Q&A with it. Mm-hmm. But he answered, like, he answered maybe one question that the fans had offered and then went on was interviewing the interviewee and was just rambling about things that uh-huh. that had nothing to do with what people wanted to hear. So traditionally, he has a history of playing with people. And what bothered me about the Gilbert Gottfried clip is this quote, you know, the monkeys outsold the Beatles and Rolling Stones, is really a, an affirmation of the monkeys' creativeness, uh, their popularity. And here, you know, Mike yet again threw dirt on, you know, a monkey's accomplishment. Yeah, it really was something that the fans could always hold up as a banner saying, hey, here we are. But then again, if it's not real, <laughs> should we promote it as a banner? Ken, I just wanted to say that I've been scrolling through the Facebook and I found the quotation of, of what Andrew Sandoval had to say shortly after the Gilbert Gottfried interview went live. Uh-huh. Um, he was responding to the controversy and the discussion that was taking place, not on our group, but on the Monkeys Film and TV Vault group. And he wrote, 
Michael Nesmith is a law unto himself. During my first interview with him in 1991, he challenged the concept of releasing the Listen to the Band box set in that year. Why? Because the Monkees' 25th anniversary would be the following year. When I remarked that the show debuted in September of 1966, he politely told me I had my facts wrong. I left it at that. If you are all wise, you should too. I thought someone was playing basketball. <laughs> I, am ha- I am giving Andrew Sandoval a standing ovation. A slow do clap. You- well, then let's- Which we will do if you, ever, if you ever appear on our show. We will give you the Citizen Kane slow clap. Because that really says it all. The point is, is make, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. We all know Nez is full of shit. And, you know. But say, w- wait, wait, say that hearts, with love. We, we say that with love. Exactly. If you search your hearts, you know you would not have Nez any other way. Right. Period. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punch in the bit from Bill Murray and Meatballs where he goes, It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> so, I got to I got to really confess something to all of you here and all the listeners in Zilchland. I'm terrified if Michael Nesmith called me up and said, "Hey, I want to come on the show. Pick 20 questions and let's do this." Because I would be like, <laughs> "Oh no. This is like going toe to toe with the Joker, you know." <laughs> he's got a chessboard exactly. And a game going that you like, you're not sure if, you know, he's like over here. It's, it's, it's like the chess boards on Star Trek, right, Craig? The three level. He's playing up here and you're trying to do something down here and he's got you beat on the other two boards. So. Oh, totally. He was, he was a match for freaking Ian Lee. We are doomed. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll make great radio, so. <laughs> I would just smile and hope that that gets me through. Anyway, we've had a little bit of fun with this discussion. And uh, Jeff, is there anything that you think that we should focus on? Because I know you have some numbers and stuff. Is there anything we were missing out on? When in closing, Ken, I just wanted to make sure I brought those numbers out because not only is the quote possible, it's probable if you look at the actual sales figures. So could it just be a case that just... Mike wanted to play head games with this guy, but who knows? It actually could be true. Maybe, maybe Want, thirty-two million. Play, you know, wanting to play head games with Gilbert Gottfried. How can that be? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of bizarre. I mean, that's all Nez does. We love him, but my word. But the monkeys must be selling some music because we're getting all these handmade sets and all the reissues, and I mean. A lot of people seem to love this music, and I know for myself, I, if I've bought the Monkees once, I've probably bought it four times, you know, including the Handmade set, the Deluxe mm-hmm. Edition, one on album, one on CD, and probably a cassette at some point. So, you know, I've... Yeah, I'm I've, on my fifth copy of Headquarters, I think. So $35 million could be just in the Zilch staff represented here today, so... <laughs> right. <laughs> But, but you do have to ask yourself, why does Nez continually you know, put down the band that made him so much money? That is strange, but I don't think he's he's ever had the respect for it that the fans do. I think that he was always... I, I, yeah, 
I don't think it's strange. I understand, you know, to the extent that I can understand anything about Michael Nesmith, which is probably pretty feeble, I think I get where he's coming from because he's always seen himself as an artist and following his own muse and the monkeys was not about it. And it must be kind of odd that that's the thing he's best known for in the wide culture. I remember that uh, Q&A that Jeff was referring to a minute ago at the 2014 con. Um, uh, One of the the, uh, Q&A people asked him what his feelings were about the monkeys and being involved with it. And he basically said one word, ambivalent. And then he kind of giggled and, you know, brushed it off. But there's a lot of truth there. Right. And, and I don't think he's so much putting down the project as he is um, playing head games with the media. Which exactly. He because at the end of the day, if Nez really hated the monkeys and really wanted nothing to do with them, then we must have all been having some sort of weird mass hallucination between 2012 and 2014. Well, wait till next month when he goes back on the show and we find out that that wasn't him. That was actually uh, Michael Nesmith impressionist Herschel Abramowitz. So <laughs> that would explain the shoes. There you go, the Jimmy shoes. Quite an elaborate ruse, Mister Nesmith. Well, anyway. we do know that Mike never liked the music, but it is interesting to me though that he still doesn't really understand why we do. Mm-hmm. But it is nice to hear him say things like. Uh, Actually, I think it was in the Gilbert Godfrey interview where he talked about when someone's like a youngster and they're telling him how much they love the monkeys, that's one thing. But when somebody who's been through this journey all their life and they're older now and and they're telling them what the monkeys meant to their lives, I, I think now he has a more of an understanding of of what we get out of it as fans, at least more than ever. And I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I think, and and you know, I, I I have this vivid memory in my head in the the 2013 reunion tour, after they finished their last number and they had their hands up, and the grin and the smile on Nez's face, I will never forget that. He looked uh-huh. so so happy. So there must be some part of him that loves this music, yet when he gets in front of the press, he likes to play around. There must have been some magic in that old wool hat they found. <laughs> Well, remember, this isn't just Mike the monkey or Mike the musician. This is also the guy who gave us television parts and elephant parts. True. Well, Michael Nesmith, we love you, and we thank you for messing with our collective heads. Uh, you, you're one of the reasons that being a monkey fan is never dull. Right, folks? Yeah. Right. So Amen. He, he monkeys around with us a little bit, and it's okay. Okay, well, is there anything you want to say to the listeners? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, thank you to everyone who's listened to this show, who's left an iTunes review, who's joined the Facebook group and part of any of the discussions that have gone on in the last year. Listen, the show wouldn't be what it is today without every each and every one of you. And, you know, every time I go to the Facebook group and I read what's going on there or I see every single day I get the notifications in Facebook that new people are joining the group and it is an incredibly humbling humbling experience and a, and a wonderful wonderful feeling that what we're doing on this show is reaching and impacting so many people and and uh, you know thank you from the bottom of my heart to everybody who is part of the zilch experience and thank you to you ken mills for for being the catalyst for all of this and and we wouldn't be here 
if it wasn't for you and, and your editing and your production work that, that puts this show out to the masses who are waiting to hear every single episode that comes out. So uh, my hat's off to you and, and all the other Zilchers who are part of the show and part of these recordings. You guys are the best. I love you all. Sarah, Melanie, Craig, uh, Craig Smith, who's no longer with the show, but you know, hats off to you, buddy. Uh-huh. Thank you for all your contributions as well. And all of our guests who've been on the show, the fantastic interviews we've had over the time. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing, amazing to see how many incredible faces and voices we've had come through this show. So, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank everybody. Oh, what he uh, said. <laughs> Craig? Yeah, um, some, some great thoughts there from Jeff. And yeah, a big thank you to you, Ken, for sort of um, leading the charge here. But also, I want to expand on what we talked about a little earlier about the Facebook group and really the idea that this podcast... Um, if you look at how our staff has grown and how our staff has augmented, um, this show really belongs to everybody. And if you have a show idea or a topic or a suggestion, let one of us know or post it on the group or send us an email. Or if you're, you know, friends with us on Facebook, you know, via an instant message there. But really, this is truly, um, the, the closest I've seen a podcast ever come to being a true audio fanzine and it's really special and uh, I'm really glad to be a part of it excellent Sarah anything you'd like to say okay I'm about to shock everybody here I am not a monkeys fan because of the monkeys I'm gonna give everybody a moment to catch their breath I am a monkeys fan at this stage of my life because of all the wonderful people and friends I have made over the last uh, 20 mumble years that I have been into this group. And the best thing about Zilch for me and the thing I'm most grateful for is, again, the Facebook group. We grew from nothing to almost 1,500 of the most awesome monkeys people you can find anywhere on this planet. We are having conversations every day on every topic you can think of. Uh, Rarities are being shared. Anything you can come up with. And the best thing to me is that everybody's just interested in having a good time. There are no flame wars. There are no egos. Um, People just have a good time. Everybody is committed to making the Zilch Facebook group a community. And that, by extension, has made the Zilch podcast a community. And the two of them have fed off of each other in a way that I don't think any of us have anticipated. And it's, it's the reason we've become as successful as we have. Of course, thank you to my fellow hosts who have all become friends. I would consider some of these, these people, both Craig's, Jeff, Ken, Melanie, all of you, I consider uh, some of my best friends, and I wouldn't have met you if it weren't for the monkeys. So there you go. Okay. Melanie, what would you like to say? I'm just so incredibly honored that I've been given the opportunity to be a part of the podcast. It, it still doesn't quite seem real to me, but I'm absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity. And I've made so many good friends, both among the uh, people whose voices are heard and also between the people whose words are seen on the Facebook page. And I love you all and just want to keep this going as long as I can. Coolness. Jack Geringer. Well, I kind of go along with what Sarah said. It, it really has become a community. It's a family. It's a, it's a group of people that have things to say and want to share things about their, their favorite band. 
it's amazing that the the Facebook page really has become the go-to place for monkeys news and information. And I think that's an amazing testament to to Ken and the podcast and 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 everything it's meant. Belinda, what are your thoughts? Well, I I want to say first that it's an honor to sit in this seat um, and be surrounded by um, Ken and and Sarah and Melanie and and Craig and Jeff and and the other Jeff and. Um, it's just an honor to sit here and be able to discuss the monkeys. Um, one of my favorite bands with everyone and the Facebook page, everyone just shows so much love to everyone else. It's such a welcoming environment. No one's judged. You can post whatever you want. You can argue, you can agree to, uh, to disagree. And you know, at the end of the day, we're all still friends. It's not that much of that going around these days. And it's just such a, a welcome place. And I love um, all of you and thank you so much. Thank you. Group hug! <laughs> well, well, thank you all for being here today. I want to say this in closing. We had no idea it would be this big. We, there really is no show without you listeners. Otherwise, it would be just Jeff, Craig, and myself talking occasionally about the monkeys. But you folks have made this show what it is in many ways. You've, you've shaped it as much as we have in many ways. And I want to thank you. If you know somebody who's a monkey fan, let them know about Zilch. And hopefully we can entertain them and we can all learn something together. And I'm kind of going to go off Ringo Star, but peace and love. Peace and love. Because that's really what it's all about. You guys ready to sing? No. <laughs> Wait, I, I think Melinda should lead this. She's the newcomer. Well, I'll, oh. I'll, I'll do the drum part, okay? Ready? Okay. <laughs> Here we come. Welcome down the street. It's funny as last from everyone we meet. Please cut that part out, Ken. Nope. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. And now it's time to play Jeff Hewlett's favorite song. Craig, would you like to do the honors? Oh, God. <laughs> Let's all do the frug. All right, Craig, press that button. Click. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. Are you playing Sunny Girlfriend? No. Let's <laughs> dance on. Yes, yes. No, no, no. I agree with him with Let's Dance On. I think I mentioned that a couple of times while we were watching the marathon. I... I, I don't care for Let's Dance On. I was not on that podcast, but I'm with you. Well, I'm going to do the pony. What are you going to do, Jeff Garinger, the frug? Oh, definitely. And, and, and the, I, I hate to say I like Let's Dance On, so there you go. And the no, Wahaha no. Tootsie. I'm third gen. I'm doing the Macarena. <laughs> You're making this into a production nightmare. I know. Squish. Anyway. And assuming you're a human being, we'll let you in. You're discriminating against non-humans? Yes. I know. Martians, they, listen. They did, hey, they did it in Monkey vs. Machine. I'm allowed to discriminate against robots. In defense of 
Jeff Hewlett and Craig Cohen show the tricorder transmission, we will allow any alien that is in the Federation of Starfleet <laughs> to vote. Right, Craig? Um, only in the Federation, or can they be from outlying territories? Do we want to let, like... Well, what about Klingons? Yeah, see, well... <laughs> Classic Trek Klingons or Next Generation Klingons? Right, yeah. Oh, my God. Maybe well, yes, if they have the bumpy foreheads? There you go. That's a prerequisite, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, fascinating. Fascinating, Captain. Yeah, fascinating. So, yeah. We'll be doing Zilch in Heaven one day. Oh, provided we all make it there. With Michael Landon guest starring. Oh my god, yes. We gotta do a Highway to Heaven Monkeys crossover. There you go. What the hell was that? That was me. What was it? <laughs> I pressed the wrong button on my phone and it actually started playing 99 Counts. I thought that was what it was. What a monkey nerd. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I admit it. Sorry. <laughs> Don't apologize in this crowd. <laughs> Everybody yeah. says um differently, but. Yeah. Um. There we go. That's enough nonsense. <laughs> Isn't that dumb? Now then. Over here, Kenny, yeah. Uh, for all practical purposes, you see, the show is over, uh, but we have in the television industry what they call a tag, uh, which is some sort of just complete laugh riot at the end of a show <laughs> so that you all will tune back in next week, you see, because it's so hilarious. Now, the tag we're going to do this week is called a Here We Go Again tag, and uh, Davy and Peter are going to do it. It involves Mickey. To think none of this would have happened if Mickey hadn't got the gambling bug. Boy, but we're sure not going to get involved in that scene again, are we, Mickey? Never again. Mickey. 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 M uh, uh, Mickey. Mickey. Well, okay, now wait a minute. Hold it, guys. Now you see, we cut over to Mickey, and you see him playing with a gambling machine. And now you cut back to us. 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 And we're supposed to give a pained look to the camera. Isn't that funny, kids? 